Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. I want to ask if you've ever heard of the expression, ever heard anyone say the expression crabs in a bucket? Most people are like this. Good. All right. I'll admit, right? I did not grow up saying that. Okay. That's not an expression that was common in my household, crabs in a bucket. Um, And it probably was because I grew up in West Texas where the only crabs we saw were on the buffet at our local restaurant, right? So I did grow up near the ocean or during the lake or anything like that. I'm not even sure crabs go. See, this is how little I know about crabs. I just know they taste good on a buffet, you know, or when you order them. But crabs in a bucket is an actual expression, one that people use. And uh, if I was to use that with me growing up, it would go right over my head. So if you're like me and not familiar with that expression, let me bring you into the world of crabs for just a moment. The expression crabs in a bucket comes from exactly what you think when multiple crabs are in a bucket, right? So I'm glad there's like some good origin story to this expression. Crabs are an interesting creature. It has the basic instinct to survive. That's what its number one goal is in life, is survive. And that instinct goes into overdrive when they are removed and placed into an environment that's not their own, like a bucket. (laughs) They go into overdrive, survival mode, these crabs. I would not stick my finger in a bucket of crabs. You throw them in there. Now, the one thing, because most of the time they're in a bucket because a fisherman has put them in there, right? Not even sure if that's the term for fishing for crabs, but you get the drift. They put them in a bucket, And that's usually how they end up in there. Now, the one thing that the fishermen knows if they do this often and they're regularly going out for crabs is that when you place crabs in a bucket, very few, if any at all, will actually climb out of the bucket with very little um, uh, supervision. Yeah, they won't climb out of the bucket. When one crab, when they're all inside the bucket, let me tell you what's happening inside here is that when they're all actually in the bucket, when very few get out, they climb out of the bucket, there is a reason. There is a reason why. The reason is the crabs turn on each other. They turn on each other inside the bucket. What is happening is that every crab starts to care only about himself. That's it. When one crab starts to make any progress, you see the other crabs start to grab that crab back down. They're reaching for him, dragging him back down. They'll pull him out. 
not understanding that if the first crab on top can just make his way outside of the bucket, that they can open up a route and show how they can get out and reach safety and escaping. But instead, they are constantly out of their fear of not being in their environment, are bringing down every crab who is even trying the least remote to get outside of the bucket, usually meaning that none of them escape, and they usually end up on the buffet in my West Texas town. This is true. They're pulling each other back down with the mentality of, if I'm going to be down here, so are you. So are you. And this is exactly what our brother James is talking about today. For many of us believers, we are living in a crab full of, or bucket full of crabs. And so let's see what James today has to say on this matter in chapter four. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you knowing that the uh, scripture here is uh, very, very direct. Uh, we know James has penned these down for, for your people, the believers of the church and Jesus Christ, to, to reflect on from time to time. God, my prayer is that for any of us, as we're going through this, that if any of us, including myself, need to be convicted of anything, then Lord, let it be so, so that we could be better united that we could be bringing light into the world. And then God, as I pray, if anything I say is not true, is not from the scripture, then correct me on the spot, Lord. That, Father, only your gospel is preached from this pulpit. Only your truth is shared with your people, Lord. This is my prayer as we dive into chapter four. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, you know that we've been going through the book of James. And I have to say again with the disclaimer that if you are not a believer, I, I'm not sure if I, I'm, I believe in Jesus Christ. I just need to tell you up front that the book of James was written to believers, to the church, those who have already professed that they believe Jesus as Messiah. They've accepted that salvation and grace from him. And so now James is talking directly to believers. He's saying, here is how we should be living. This is how we should be treating each other. So if you're not a believer, I want you to lean in. I want you to see what it is the rest of us have agreed to live our life by. And then I'm going to tell you why it's important to you too. Because James is written to the church. To the church. So those of us who have been faithful believers, we need to pay attention. Including myself, I am certainly not exempt from this by any means. But we need to pay attention and just be reminded, maybe refreshed for just a moment of what it is we're called to live. And you see, so far in the first three chapters of James, we've been hitting some pretty big topics, some, some, some big deal. We've been covering dealing with pride. We've been uh, dealing with the use of our tongue and our mouth, the things that we say. We dealt with favoritism. And then we even dealt with temptations themselves. Some big topics here in the church. And you may be starting to notice that being a believer is hard work. I signed up for the easy path, right? Now, being a believer is hard work. And by now, you should be catching on that being a believer isn't about just you. 
that your faith is bigger than just you. Your faith is about us as a community, as a united front under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, James, and usually when I go through scripture verses, I try to find a narrative. I take out the Bible here. I look at the the verse. When I'm writing, I always want to try to find a narrative. That way I can just tell you the scripture versus just reading it line by line. But I wanted and chose the first three verses I want to read to you directly from James. Chapter 4, verses 1 through. James, he writes this. He writes this today. What causes, what causes fights? In quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So right here in the first three verses of James chapter 4, right off the top, James is pointing out that, that there are two things, and these are two things that he's just wanted to highlight in the first three verses. The first one is this, that God's people fight with God's people. First thing, God's people fight with God's people. And the second thing is that God gives to those who have pure motives. Who have pure motives. I've been asking God. I've been asking, Captain. I've been asking. haven't seen how many. God gives to those who have pure motives. Now, as beautiful as the church is, and I'm looking out, and you guys look dashing today. I just have to say that you are beautiful And as beautiful as the church is, at the end of the day, it is still filled with fallen people who have fallen short of the grace of God. And we are in need of redemption. This is the reality, the truth of what we know in our faith. This means that even though two parties, two people, may be under the blood of Jesus, that they can be unreconciled. They can be at odds with one another inside the church. This can happen. It's our sin nature that still creeps its head out every now and then from time to time. It'll just pop in, trying to take down the church from the inside, trying to take us that way. Fights and arguments and quarrels are a fast way to split or divide a church in two, to split them off. Well, we're going to go start a new church, and we're going to do it this way, or well, we're going to do it that way, and we want the carpet red this time. You know, we, we could split on all these things, but when churches split under sin, they're starting in sin in their churches. That's the reality. That reconciliation is a part of the Christian life. And when we decide not to reconcile and split and go our ways, then we're splitting and going our ways in sin. This is what James is bringing to our attention. This is serious stuff. Right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm putting my head in the book here and I'm writing this down, but man, this is serious stuff. James is not taking this topic very easy when, he, when he's pinning this down. The church, the church is a place 
where iron sharpens iron. But we can't do that if the blades are dull. We can't do it. But this is what the church is. Now, this isn't the first time, by the way, that this is addressed in Scripture, that this exact topic has been brought up. Jesus himself covers this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He brings it up. He talks about it. Obviously, this is an issue, something that keeps reoccurring over and over again. Now, where James in his book is focusing on the dangers of this type of living within the fellowship, within all of us, Jesus is speaking of the danger it is to your soul directly. Speaking of your soul, the danger of this life. Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it there at the front. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. I mean, Jesus just said in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 in Matthew, just said that if you have hate or anger in your heart toward a brother or a sister, if you are unreconciled with anyone who is in the church, he just said, don't come to the altar with your gift. There is unfinished business. That if we're going to be members of the family of God, we must reconcile our differences. And so Jesus said, hold your gift. There's business to attend to. Now, I'm not just talking about the altars and just this. This is not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about the altar that's also within our hearts. Right here, this altar. You cannot bring an offering unto the Lord if your altar is broken, when it's in despair, when it's in pieces. We can't bring an offering on top of that. You must seek reconciliation. This is our faith in action. This is it. Putting it to the actual test of our faith. Here it is. This is real life. Right? Because we always get along all the No, 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 of course not. This is real life. How do I, how do I take the words of the Bible and, and make it from this kind of platform, this, this, that we, we can't tend to keep it up here, but how do we apply it to our life? Here it is. This is how we do it. Is that when we are at odds, when we are not reconciled with our brothers and sisters, then we must seek reconciliation. But Captain, what if they don't accept it? What if they don't allow me to? The scripture says that you must seek reconciliation. It takes two parties for reconciliation to take place. There must be a giving party and a receiving party. And you only can control your parts. You have to seek after reconciliation. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was diving into this and I, I was really focusing on that word reconciliation and, 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 the, and the practice and the act of what that looks like, here's what I came to the conclusion that when true, real-life reconciliation takes place, that both parties end up being both the giver and the receiver. Both happen when true unity takes place. But it must be something that is sought after. We have to chase it. We have to go after it. The condition of our heart is something that God sees. 
It has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to be genuine. It has to be intentional. Because he gives to those with pure motives. Why? Because James already pointed this out. James said already that he will give to those with pure motives. He knows the condition of our heart. The condition is something that God sees. He pays attention to. He's interested in that. It's not, it's not what things look like on the outside to him, to God. See, God can see. He can see right through this whole, well, I'll be the bigger man and I'll go first, I guess. He can see through all that. He knows the condition of our hearts. Don't, do it. Don't go and seek unity and reconciliation because you're going to be the bigger man. Do it because you, your eternal soul depends on it. Do it knowing that you are a child of God, that this is who you are. Do it knowing that Satan is using it as a weapon against you every day you let it sit. He's using it every day, chipping away at your joy, at your love. He's chipping away at all these things. Do it now so that you can finally be set free. The both of you can be set free together. And then, then you can bring your offering to the altar. An altar that was once broken. One that was, that was seen to be irreparable. But now, bring your offering into an altar that has been united, repaired, brought back together, made whole again. And so James continues on. He keeps writing down a few more thoughts and a few more notes in his letter here. He says that these types of acts, this, uh, this type of separation in the church, he referred to it as a friendship. It's like a friendship with the world, is what he said. It's like a friendship with the world. And you can't love the world and you can't love God, he says. In fact, James writes here, James writes that this person is an enemy of God. Now, let me clarify this. What James is not saying is that those who are not in church are enemies of God. That's not what he's saying right here. He's saying those who are a part of the fellowship and act like they're in the world are enemies of God. This is what he's referring to. You see, there's a whole other scripture verse on what it is not to be in the church, about the, about the unbeliever. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot more grace for them than there is for us. I'm going to tell you that when I've read through the scriptures is that when we come together, there is a standard, there's an expectation for us to be believers in a real life God. And so this here is what he's referring to, is that a person who says, let me in the fellow, I want to be a part of it, I want to follow you, God, I'm going to, but then you still choose to live like you're in the world. He's saying these are enemies of God. Ouch. <laughs> I can see my, myself, my reflection in the mirror from time to time. So James, so James then, he reminds us, right after he says that, he reminds us of Proverbs 3.34. And he even quoted it here in his letter. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Hmm. So you see a reoccurring theme chapter after chapter in this book. In his letter, humble. Be humble. Humility. Humble yourself. Humble. Humble. Humility is God's plan and design 
for our relationship with others and our relationship with the world. It's his design. It's his plan for us. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we move past this type of conflict in the church, this constant back and forth, back and forth? What do we do? James says we are to submit ourselves to God. He writes this out, to submit ourselves to God. And then he wants to communicate exactly what he's talking about. He writes it down. He exactly says what he, this is what, this is what it looks like. He wants us to make sure, without a doubt, that we know what submission to God looks like. He says, first of all, number one, before you do anything else, he says, you are to resist the devil. Resist him. You are to turn your back on him, to shut him out. If we resist him, James says, the scripture says that he will flee. He will, be, he will leave. He will go. He's got to get out of here. And it's important right now to understand and to recognize that this is an action that we do, something we have to do. We don't stand idly by waiting for someone else to resist the devil on our behalf. This has to be something that we choose to do, something ourselves. We make the choice to resist the devil, to resist Satan. And the promise that comes with it from Scripture, by the way, is that he will flee. He will go. He's not going to hang around. He doesn't. Why? Why is he going to flee? Why? Because you don't belong to him. You are not made in his image. You are made in the image of God. This is why. When he says if you resist the devil, he will flee. Why? Because your image of God is speaking out to him. That's what this is. Come near to God and he will come near to you, the scripture says. Resist the devil and go toward the Father. Then, after we resist, after we do this, then we submit. Now here it is. James tells us what we have to do now. He says we have to Wash our hands. No, he's not talking about underwater. Even though in today's world, that's really good practice to wash our hands. But that's not what he's talking about. He's using it as a symbol of our hands being covered in dirt and filth. And now we have to go and put them under the purifying, cleaning water to get it all off. It's just to wash our hands, to remove any trace of sin of pride or of anger or of hate to wash this off of our hands. We are to be made pure. Let me tell you what James is doing here. He is saying that we have to consecrate ourselves and be sanctified. He's saying that right now that you and I in the image of God are to be made pure, that we are to be holy people on this earth, on this world, to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, after you reach out to God and you plead, Lord, to forgive me and to sanctify my soul. Lord, let the Holy Spirit fall on me so that way I can then be a light to this world. Cleanse me, Lord. After we get to this place in our life and we ask for this type of cleaning and purification, then, then we are able to understand that even though we are made in the image of God, we have distorted that image along the way. We've changed it. We have distorted his image in our lives. 
We have become double-minded, serving both the world and God, James says. And then he paints us a picture. He wants to be very clear about this. James paints us the picture of what submission looks like. He says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, this doesn't really sound that fun. We just went through the purification process. We changed my laughter, changed it to gloom. What are you talking about? Where's the gospel about God's love? Where's his grace at? How about God answering our prayers when we call out to him that he'll give to us in our needs? Where are the smoke machines? Where is all the lighting at? Where is this at? There has to be a point, my friends, and I'm included in this, that there has to be a point in our faith when we accept the fact that we serve God simply because he's God. That's it. We are not chasing God to see what we can get from him next. What do you have for me, Lord, next? But it is a sign of maturity for a believer is accepting that he, God, is the creator and you and I, friends, are the creation. There's a level of maturity that goes into that thought. That we're not chasing God because we have the next big thing rolling out. We chase him because he's God. That's it. That's it. It was God's decision. I mean, this is where it could have ended. It could just be, listen, I'm create your creation. And so here is how it's going to be. And actually, if you don't live like this, then you're going to experience my wrath justifiably by your sin. You're the ones falling short, not me. I'm going to give you this wrath. We could, he could have easily gone that route. But instead, God himself, the creator, who has already given us so much, just keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving. And even then, he says, I'm going to give you one more thing. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus. I'm going to send him so that way you can experience freedom. And so what does God's love and God's grace look like? It's not in brand new stuff and cars and it's not in all these things that we do. It's in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what his grace and what his love looks like to all of us. And when we accept that grace and accept that love, then what happens? Oh man, what happens? This is right here is that submission happens. Submission that when we realize that God is enough just on his own. And once submission takes place, once the act of submitting to God takes place, something really beautiful happens. Something beautiful happens. Much like a husband and a wife, especially in that first year of marriage. Can I get an amen? Yeah, see? Especially in that first year of marriage, when finally, and you know what I'm talking about, when finally, both submit to each other, together. And that couple becomes one. One. My words are your words. My life is your life. And likewise, we become one with God. When we submit to him, our words are his words. Our life is your life. 
So what happens when we do life together? What happens when we all agree and say, I'm going to be a believer in Jesus and be a part of the church? What happens? We're still living on this earth. We still have jobs to go to, families to take care of. None of this changes. All this stuff is the same. So what do we do when we decide to come together and unify? Well, it could, it could look like a bunch of crabs in a bucket. It could look like that. It could bring bringing down everyone around you when we're scared, when we're afraid, when we're hurt, when we've lost our joy. And yes, even if we've lost our way, it is very possible to be in a room surrounded by found people and be so lost. This is possible. If only, if only the crab on the very bottom of the bucket there can see the same thing that the one on the top is seeing. Light. The way out. I can almost touch it. If the only other crabs would just offer themselves. Here, get on my back. Here, I'll hold you up. Here, don't, you're not going to stay down there. Come on. If only, if only they realized that if they can give each other that hand, that they would all escape out of the bucket. But it's their fear that keeps driving them down to the very bottom of the darkness. And I'm going to tell you that it's not a desire for wanting to be in darkness. No one wants to be in darkness. But the truth is, and I think all of us have been here before, is that we're there because we don't know the way out. I don't know the way out. Here is your way out today. Reconcile with those who you have brokenness with. And then submit yourselves to God. This is your way out of the bucket. Is that if there's anyone in your life that is causing you hurt, brokenheartedness, your altar is cracking and breaking, seek reconciliation. This is how our faith actually comes to life. This is real stuff. And James wanted to make sure that even thousands of years later, when we were sitting in Gwinnett County and Captain was going to be looking at this scripture, he wanted to make sure that the church wasn't just playing house, but that we are real life followers of Jesus Christ. And if we ever play house, not just us, but anything, then may it just crumble to pieces. May it just the foundation come right out because it'll be so wishy-washy. But instead, the foundation of the church is built on something solid. It's built on unity. It's built on love. It's built on grace. It's built on reconciliation, not just with each other, but us to God. For God, he was the one that reached his hand for reconciliation. Come, come on, I'm, gonna, I'm going to initiate this. Come be reconciled with me through my son. May we be like him. May we follow his example. And then and only then 
when we realize, and I really believe this, when we all realize that the bucket wasn't as deep as we thought. It wasn't as scary as we thought. So I'll leave with this. If God is calling out to you today, respond. Respond. If he's reaching out to you today, don't put it off. Respond. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.